Hello, and welcome back to uh, yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the new and improved Annoying Question Boy. Um, So, for those of you who don't know, this show was formerly Annoying Question Boy, but in the new year, I am, you know, working on the, you know, the process of switching over my podcast name to In Defense of Liberation. If you don't know, I have a new uh, blog posting place. I made a Wix website now, so instead of posting on Blogger, I have my own website where you can uh, find my blog, you can find links to my social media stuff, you can find links to um, my podcast, and just kind of learn what I'm about, you know? So if you have any interest in that, that's uh, forliberation.wix, W-I-X, S-I-T-E, site.com, forward slash website. Um, That should pull you right up to my new uh, website, which I'm super excited about. I have no, like, technological skills. Uh, My parents didn't let me have any, like, form of technology, like a TV, a cell phone. Um, I was able to go on, like, the desktop downstairs, but only to, like, play solitaire and the pinball game. Y'all remember the pinball game on early Windows, right? Um, But, yeah, so, like, I have no understanding of how technology works. So, the fact that I made a website even using, you know, a free website builder, which is quite user-friendly, I might add, uh, I still struggled, (laughs) and so I'm super proud of that website, so if you haven't already, go check that out, again, that's uh, forliberation.wixsite, w-i-x-s-i-t-e dot com forward slash website, um, in defense of liberation should pop up, uh, And I hope you uh, think it's cool. Um, Let me know if you think there's anything else I should add to the website. Um, Definitely open to uh, critique and stuff like that or, you know, helpful uh, advice. Because, again, don't really know how to do technology. So if you guys think that something needs to be added and you know how to add it, well, go ahead and tell me and I'll be sure to do it. but you're going to have to tell me how to do it first, you know? But anyways, now, uh, so now that we got that out of the way, um, today my episode is going to be, I mean, my episodes never seem to be structured anymore, if they ever were, but, um, today I really want to talk about kind of, first and foremost, um, just kind of, what's going on on my side of the world, you know, what's been going on in my head, um, and just kind of talk about what I've been thinking about lately, but in reading about, um, but also I kind of want to relate that to just the general place that the world is in today, and kind of, well, well, let, let's, how about it, instead of explaining it, we just talk about it, so, Lately, I, uh, obviously it was the holiday season. I've been thankfully able to have a couple days off here, which I haven't had for a while. Um, and so I was able to 
read quite a bit. Um, I read Guerrilla Warfare uh, by Che. I read a part, decent section of a People's History of the United States. I read Open Veins of Latin America um, and just some other articles and small essays here and there just kind of, you know, reading for leisure. But, um, so I've had a real active mind about things like organizing, about things like, you know, just problems facing the world today. And so I thought I would take this moment to try to kind of explain why it is I feel that we really, in this moment in time, have an opportunity to turn turn the dial in the direction of the people for once in history. Um, so to those of you who don't know much about leftist theory or really any kind of like socialist or revolutionary uh, tendencies, uh, ideas... What, one thing you probably do know is the, the famous phrase that Karl Marx is usually misrepresentingly quoted for saying, which is um, all history of, of hitherto society is a history of class struggles. Um, I think I misquoted that a little bit, but whatever. Um, you get the gist. And... Uh, so that's like a, a, a pretty famous quote, and I'm sure that just about everybody who would listen to this show would at least know that quote. Uh, but I think that it's really important, and, you know, maybe you're not a Marxist, maybe you think Karl Marx is a fucking lunatic. Uh, I think that it is important to really unravel what that one sentence really truly means, right? So, let's talk about it. One of the things that is facing society today, all over the world, whether it's America, whether it's Somalia, whether it's Australia, whether it's the UK, whether it's, you know, um, Bolivia, Venezuela, um, and this thing is inequality. Uh, Inequality in the most basic way to understand it is the same way that a lot of people try to explain what communism uh, has to say, which is that there are two groups of people in society. There's the haves and the have-nots. The inequality that exists in society is inequality not because simply not everyone has the same amount But because we live in a society which, you know, is structured on this class struggle, this idea of having one group which has, you know, the material uh, conditions, the resources that it requires to provide for its own basic needs. And then there are people who do not have those uh, resources. Um, something that I posted on Facebook, which I think is, like, really the easiest way to conceptualize this. Um, there are people who can eat tonight, and there are people who cannot. And that's that's simply 
the way of the world, right? And we all know that. A lot of us take the uh, the approach of it is what it is, or maybe life is unfair, or maybe even if you're an especially narcissistic type, um, you might say, oh, well, what did they do wrong? Or one of your uh, pull yourself up by your bootstrap types might show up in that conversation. But nevertheless, let's not talk about what we think about that inequality right now. Let's just talk about what that inequality really means, right? So that inequality in societies such as ours, so I live in America. I don't know where you're listening to this to in, um, but if you live in any society today, really, you understand this inequality. And this inequality surfaces in the inability to afford housing, so homelessness, the inability to have a home, shelter to sleep in. Uh, this inequality surfaces as poor medical facilities, poor medical care. You know, there's whole countries which at some points in the recent history, you know, 20, 30 years ago, which entire populations did not have any modern vaccines. Uh, During the uh, 60s and 70s, the Black Panther Party had to distribute the tuberculosis vaccine to a whole lot of black members of uh, the community in America. And that's ridiculous. You know, the fact that some people can get these very basic vaccines, which we all usually get, um, it's ridiculous that at a point there had to be a whole separate organization which had to provide those things for one group of people in society. And again, we all understand this inequality. We all understand it in different ways, and we all understand it to be caused by different things. But at the very least, we can all usually agree that this level of inequality does exist. Um, One way which even your conservative types would agree with us would be uh, the idea that, oh, it's just the elite which rule in the government. It's never the people. But the conservatives are, you know, missing a point when they think someone like Donald Trump is a part of the people, you know, and think that electing him is somehow putting their interests on the table. It's not. But at least in that instance, what conservatives are doing is they're recognizing that something is very wrong. And something is very wrong. And I think, again, a lot of us can agree on that point, that something in society is very wrong. Uh, We might disagree on the point of what that thing is, Um, But I think that if we're going to have real conversations, we need not mince words, right? We can agree to disagree on a lot of things. But something that we cannot agree to disagree on with anyone is simple material facts. And a clearly proven and evident truth in society is that this inequality which exists is a symptomatic result of the 
way in which capitalism expresses itself in society. So what that means is how the implementation of the capitalist mode of production, a mode of production which the majority of the world has either by will of their own choice or by force been participating in since the 1500s, okay? So the inequality which has existed since that point and which exists today, again, all over the world, not in just certain parts of the world, and so it's a universal truth, and so it has more empirical uh, basis to it. If you're to understand uh, how these analyses, analyses are came to, all you have to understand is how any other scientific analysis is done. You have a p- hypothesis, you test that hypothesis, through different experiments in theory and stuff like this, the experiment, or I guess not theory, but in the conversation we're having about inequality, the real experiment is just seeing that as capitalism spread, so did inequality. And where capitalism, you know, sank its teeth, uh, it left a hole which was filled with inequality everywhere it, it went. And so that universality, that um, repeated tendency and repeated uh, occurrence, which happens and exists all over the world today, that is empirical proof uh, to the point that that inequality is caused by the deepening, um, the continued existence, and the... uh, really the structures and systems which capitalism requires. So if we want to talk about, um, you know, how this inequality is caused, or if we want to make the claim that this inequality is caused by capitalism, well, we ought to have a little bit of backup to that claim now, right? Because one thing that you can guarantee, regardless of what side of the left you're on, Um, is that as soon as you're detected to be a part of the left, well, you ought to have every single answer in the book for every question that could ever be asked of you. Um, and so let's, you know, in that spirit, let's, let's have a little defendability, defendability, right? So the reason why inequality, the reason why I can claim that inequality is created by capitalism is because I have, uh, as anyone could if they took the time to learn about it, I have a little bit of a working knowledge of the material conditions which have been created and which are necessitated or necessary to you know, be created due to the implementation of the capitalist mode of production. So let's talk about what that is. The inequality which exists in society is as much a effect as it is its own cause of the problem which it surfaces as in society. Um, In true dialectic form, um, it is both cause and effect, right? So what I mean by that is capitalism 
has to create inequality in order to work. So Karl Marx and Frederick Engels wrote this super big book, which nobody ever wants to read, including myself, um, called Das Kapital. And what that is, to those of you who don't really have an understanding what it what it's about, it is a material analysis of the mode of production and history since the implementation of capitalism. Um, so if y'all know Karl Marx, you might know a guy by the name of Hegel. And Hegel was the first person to apply what is called a materialist analysis to history. So what what does that mean, right? <clears throat> so what that means is pretty simple, but takes a little bit of explanation. So materialism is the opposite of idealism. But I don't mean materialism uh, as in, you know, the obsession with owning material goods. Uh, I am speaking of materialism in the sense that it means um, things which are made of matter. You know, a chair is made of matter. A car is made of matter. A gun is made of matter. One thing that isn't made of matter is thoughts, or rather, ideas, right? So materialism versus idealism are two different ways which philosophers throughout history have viewed uh, philosophy. You have your materialist outlook, which sees the world as being the creator of things like change, and then ideas change due to the changes in material reality. So, for example, the creation of fire, or I should say the discovery of fire, there's vastly different ideas about the world and how it works before and after that discovery comes into play. Uh, Similarly, uh, but more on the extreme side, the way that we understood the world before and after the invention of the atom bomb is two very different worlds, right? But people didn't come up with, in their mind, the conception of the atom bomb. They studied the science and they came to the conclusion through empirical study of this material thing which existed, which they then harnessed and used to commit uh, war crimes, genocide, and uh, a massacre of thousands of innocent people. Um, Anyone who accepts the nuclear bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima are is an animal. Disgusting. Um, but that's besides the point. So what we see with those two things is that it is the actual material. It is the thing made of matter, which therein uh, creates a change in the ideas, the ways which we think about the world, right? 
to understand that more uh, historically, there is two ways to look at history. There is the, again, the materialist analysis and the idealist analysis. So how do these differ? Well, the idealist would look at something like, let's take an example which I've used in previous episodes before, but which I think is a great way to understand it. And, you know, credit where credit's due. Shout out to Allison on Red Menace Podcast for giving me this information. Uh, She's super cool. Check her and that show out. Uh, But so one way to understand the different views of history and, you know, to get a little bit better grip of what materialism versus idealism really looks like in different contexts. Let's look at something which a lot of Americans might understand, uh, the American Revolution, right? So the idealist conception of what the American Revolution kind of goes something like this, you know. You had a people which were treated awfully by their government in Europe, whether that's Britain, France, what have you. Uh, But in the context of the American Revolution, we have to think Great Britain and England, of course. So you have these people who come from England, uh, colonists, settlers, uh, who were just tired of being under the thumb of an authoritarian government, right? They were just sick and tired of being controlled by this monarchy. And so... Finally, they decided that they wanted to be free. They deserved a life of, you know, the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. They deserved uh, humanity. They deserved equality under a just law, under the rule of a rational and reasonable government of representative electives, electives, um, who, you know, will, in in the small uh, diminishment of rights such as self-governments and handing that away, will, you know, dole out rights like the freedom of speech, the freedom to assemble, the freedom of, uh, you know, the press, um, and build a democratic free society through their own liberal governance. Uh, and that's what led to the American Revolution was people just being sick and tired of being under control, right? And as much as a lot of us would probably argue that, yeah, that's history. That is, you know, taking a lot of things for granted, taking a lot of things uh, for, you know, presupposed without really bringing any kind of evidence to the fore uh, of the conversation, So a great way to understand the American Revolution and the way that a materialist would understand the American Revolution is the the analysis which Howard Zinn puts forward in A People's History of the United States. Basically, the way it goes is you have these moderately well-off people who were able to afford in the beginning, you know, the first colonists were the, the... more well-off types who were able to leave places like England and come to Jamestown or uh, Virginia, or Jamestown is Virginia, maybe? Question? No, Jamestown, whatever. 
you know, come to the colonies and set up settlements. You, you had the wealthy elites who held some place in society in Europe, uh, more importantly, Great Britain, who came over uh, to seek their own kingdom, really, right? And then as more and more colonists came, you see very quickly the same structure which we see today develop. You had a new ruling class which developed, which was like the merchants, the artisans, um, the shopkeepers. You had your new middle class which formed through the process and the use of the capitalist mode of production. So one thing that capitalists would like to hop up and down about and say oh, this is why capitalism is so great, is because it gives people the quote-unquote opportunity to pull themselves out of the, you know, up by their bootstraps out of their problems. But if you look at true material analysis of things like, for example, the period of time before the American Revolution in the colonies, you see that that, you know, supposed natural truth of capitalism is simply not true because if that were the case, right, wouldn't all the colonists have been able to just become rich. And sure, we can sit here and say that the people who did it were, you know, just harder workers. They just did a better job and they really just put their their hands to uh, whatever the fucking perfect metaphor for this thing would be um, and just put in the work, you know, and then everybody else was just lazy. But I think that that is, uh, one, a pretty... Uh, asshole-ish analysis to come to, right? You kind of got to have a preconceived negative view of people in general to think that it's more likely that that many people who are just lazy assholes who didn't want to do anything um, than something like this, which would be the true materialist analysis, which was the elite that formed was already an elite in places like Britain. And so, for example, someone like uh, uh, Bacon, I can't think of what his first name, Nathaniel Bacon, who to some at, at one time was like a revolutionary, right? But if you look at Nathaniel Bacon's history, Nathaniel Bacon was a wealthy fail son who was exiled from his family, but still given enough to be able to afford two whole plantations, which he real quick stocked up and filled with slaves, um, upon his immediate arrival in the colonies. Whereas if you look at the history of some colonies like the Virginia colony, you had an entire uh, 50 to 60% majority of the society which was living in poorhouses from the very creation of those poorhouses now even to today in some places, you know? And so it's kind of... To me, I think it's a very awfully negative but nevertheless idealistic take to say that these people were just simply uh, making poor decisions, right? Um, What was actually happening was a mode of production was developing which required that inequality. Why does capitalism require that inequality? Well, we can't all be billionaires, can we? There's only so much money to be made. If we all open a store like Apple, well, then we can't expect that we're all going to become billionaires. Um, And we know that to be true because look at, uh, for example, the millions of different brands of cereal that there are, the millions of different brands of water there are, 
bottled water, which is disgusting. We're not even going to talk about how it's, you know, insanely immoral and inhumane to sell water at a profit, but whatever. Um, but, you know, a lot of those started as their own business. Um, and we see through the process of capitalism evolving and staying as the mode of production and therefore giving us empirical evidence to make this claim, we see that not every single one of those companies is able to stay in existence. Of course, you know, you're not able to have, I think it's like 150 different water bottle companies who are all manufacturing, all producing, and all selling water. That would be, you'd you'd flood the markets and no one would make a profit, right? But now if all those companies try to make a profit and try to break out in their own way to make money, and then you have another company, say, just for example, because this is one that I'm thinking of, Poland Springs, let's say Poland Springs has been in existence for 10 years longer than uh, Aquafina, than Smart Water, than Life Water, right? When those three come on the scene, there's a chance that Poland Springs has already amassed a decent wealth. And so when Aquafina tries opening a bottle, uh, you know, a water bottle company, well, you know, a few things can happen. First and foremost, Poland Springs can have the market cornered. They can own all the resources which are required in order to produce, manufacture, and then sell bottled water. And therefore, it's going to cost too much for different companies like Aquafina to buy into that because there's too many hands that require money in that process that by the time the money gets to them, there's not going to be enough to keep the doors open, right? So that's one scenario that can happen. The second scenario can be just outright that Poland Springs buys Aquafina and says, we'll let you keep your brand, take fucking, you can even have 10% but we own all the rights to your company, right? We see that all over the place. We see that in the gaming industry. We see that in literally water bottle companies. We see that in cereal. We see that in uh, technology. We see that in vehicles. Monopolies are the natural progression of capitalism. Why is that? Why, Why would that be, right? Well, let's talk about it. What What is capitalism? What requires success or what does success require within a capitalist mode of production? It requires making money, right? I mean, you can't open a business today without the clear and concise goal of making money. And that's why so many corporations like Walmart, like Lowe's, you know, big, big corporations... The quality of their goods is so terrible. The way that they treat their employees is so terrible. The amount of resources that they dedicate to the store, how it's run, the products they sell, the people they employ, you know, the the store itself. All those things deteriorate over time. Because let's, let's, let's go into a thought example to give you the reason why this happens. So let's say we start our own company, right? Um, let's call it Liberation Center, and we sell guns, okay? We're the only gun store in America. Then all of a sudden, in 10 years, there's, let's say, uh, a law which is passed that restricts the rights of gun... No, this isn't good. I don't, I don't like this. So... Let's let's kind of create like a thought experiment to really 
tie all this together because we've we've started a lot of ideas but we've also you know had to jump deeper at each point in order to kind of get to the middle of that in order to work on the next level of what we started so thought experiment i work at a place like let's say bowls incorporated we make bowls and we sell bowls right I'm a bowl maker. I make 100 bowls a day. Each bowl is $5. I produce $500 worth of wealth every single day. Now, in order to become such a business as Bowls Incorporated, which is paying people to produce 100 bowls a day, you kind of got to have a lot of wealth. And so, even starting out as a business in a capitalist mode of production, you have to understand that these opportunities are not for everyone. And we know that, you know, not everybody owns a business. Again, we couldn't, uh, not only because it would flush the market, but not everybody has the money to start a business because again, unequal society. So in order to be that big of a business, you have to have a certain amount of wealth. Well, if you're creating a bowl business such as that, then you'd expect that in society there's some demand which is being met by that. And so there's some, uh, you know, uh, reimbursement for the production of those bowls, which, again, um, has to be more than what the production of those bowls costs, right? That just makes sense. Uh, Again, you can't have a business in today's society if not for the sake of making money, if not for cutting corners and focusing on solely making a profit because one that's how capitalism works right that's how it works and two you go out of business you just would you can't just open a business that produces bulls and say okay we're gonna make bull i'm gonna sell the bulls for how much it costs to make them and i'm gonna pay the employees how much it costs to produce them and how much money it costs uh for the you know, amount that they produced. So let's say 100 bowls, they're each $5, 500 bowls, $500 worth of bowls. My employer isn't going to pay me $500 for that day's labor, right? So then comes the very idea that Das Kapital and this materialist analysis of the mode of production, which is capitalism, that Karl Marx and Engels came to in the writings of Das Kapital. And that very theory is the theory of surplus value. And that's the very idea which you and I live out every day when we go to work. So let's say for real, I work at this facility. I make 100 bowls a day and each bowl is sold at $5. I create $500 worth of value. I myself, through my labor, create 100 bowls, which each, again, sell at $5. I have therefore created $500 worth of value. Because I'm not the one selling the bowls, because I am employed by a business. I do not own those bowls. I do not own that value. I created that value. I created those bowls. But I do not own those bulls or the value that was created by those bulls that goes to the boss or the capitalist whatever you want to refer to them in the period of time we're talking about um 
And of course, as we all know, then you're paid a wage, which is a percent of the value that you created. So the federal minimum, the federal minimum wage in society today in America is um, $7.25, which if you don't already know this, you sh- you'll probably get to know it quite quick. Eight times five is 40 hours, 40 hours a week. You're making $290 a week on $7.25 an hour. Now, to anyone who works a $7.25 an hour job, they know that that $290 is not enough to sustain life in most places in this country. We can sit here and argue about whether or not we think it's enough, but unless you are someone who is living that reality, who knows for real that it is not enough, then you don't get to have an opinion, right? So surplus value is what a minimum wage is. It is saying that, you know, here's a law that says the lowest that you can pay your employee is $7.25 an hour. But again, I'm creating $500 worth of value in a day at this made-up bowl factory, but yet only getting paid $290 a week. So if I'm working five days a week, I'm creating $2,500 worth of value, but only getting paid $290. That $2,500, the profit that's left over after everything, of course, goes to the business owner. And there there are those who say, well, good for them. They need it in order to run that business. And sure, whatever they do in the society we live in, but now you're accepting the truth and the fact of the matter that these businesses, again, exist to make a profit and are okay in doing so because of the fact that they have to do that in order to be a business. Well, why? You know, dig a little deeper and say, why is it that businesses can't exist for just simply providing the very goods which they exist to create? Why is it that we can't have businesses that just sell bowls at the price which it costs to produce them and pay their employees the, you know, the amount of value which they created? Why can't we do that? And it's because it goes against the very capitalist mode of production. It would prove outright that the capitalist mode of production makes no fucking sense. You have, let's say, in a factory of 100 people, you got 100 pairs of hands touching, say, let's say they're making a chair and that chair sells at $100 a chair. Let's say they're making fan. You know what? Fuck that. Let's say that chair sells at $10, $10. Let's say in that factory of 100 people, they produce a thousand chairs a day, $10,000 worth of value in a day. They work. That factories were open seven days a week, seven days a week. There's a hundred people in there creating a thousand chairs worth of value a day. That's $70,000 worth of value in a week. Now, do you think that whole $70,000 is going to the people who produce those chairs? No. But if we're talking about the fact that, okay, what's more important? The, The fact that the business, you know, owner was so kind as to employ those people in order to, you know, now they have the means to feed themselves or is it more that that business owner 
needs those laborers' hands in order to even make a profit in the first place. And if we analyze this you know, relationship in this way, then we see it for what the real truth is, which is capitalism, again, requires that inequality. The business owner requires the exploitation of his or her or their employees in order to keep the doors of their business open. And I'm not saying this to say that every business owner is evil and exploitative in their nature, but has to be in order to, again, keep their business doors open. Again, not every business owner is evil. We can't, the same way we can't say that everyone who is on welfare is just a lazy asshole who doesn't want to work, we can't say that every business owner is evil. But business owners exist in a world and are a part of a society which requires something which some people might consider morally evil, or at least it requires an exploitative relationship between them themselves, the business owner, or the capitalists or whatever, you know, and their employees. There has to be that exploit exploitative relationship. There has to be in order for the business owner to make enough money to sustain themselves, right? And then you take that up the ladder and eventually you get to a point where there's just some rich asshole sitting in some chair doling out enough money to create these businesses while they sit on a massive pile of cash which they will never spend in a lifetime. But not at every level does that insane amount of wealth exist. You know, your manager at McDonald's is not a capitalist, right? As long as the relationship that they have with capital is in order to sustain their own needs, then they are a part of the working class. If their relationship to capital is using that capital in order to exploit people and amass more capital, well, they are a part of the ruling class. So let's all let's let's try to wrap all this up in a little bit of a bow. Um, This is inequality and this is the inequality, which, again, As my argument said, capitalism requires. Um, It's not a choice that it makes. So it's not a moral accusation that people make against capitalism. It's not a good or evil thing. Capitalism surely is evil, but not in its, you know, it's not necessarily an evil thing, which we, you can't, you can't toss out those idealistic accusations because there's no proof to be had in in an accusation like that. But it doesn't make sense in that the way that it supposes it makes sense is not how it actually works. You know, capitalism doesn't give opportunities to people. The fruit of the loom factories, which pay its employees 33 cents an hour or 33 cents a day in Haiti, it's not creating opportunity. Um, it's creating an opportunity for itself to exploit employees and then use the massive amounts of surplus value, aka profit, that that company makes to enrich itself. But it's not creating opportunity for the millions of Haitians who can't feed themselves even on what's supposed to be a non-poverty wage. <clears throat> 
So this is capitalism. This is not capitalism as I see it, but this is capitalism in its very nature and how it has to operate in order to sustain itself. Well, I would like to argue that this just simply does not make sense. And more than it just simply not making sense, but this system, this way of doing things, this mode of production does not... And Well, I guess more importantly, this mode of appropriation, which... Production is the producing of goods. Appropriation is the claiming of the, you know, the profit, the wealth which is created through the production of these goods. So more than the mode of production, the mode of appropriation which is tag-teamed with the mode of production which exists today. Because, you know, there's a lot to argue that we have actually created a socialist mode of production or a society-based mode of production uh, and that would be, you know, the factory. You have a hundred people which create one chair. You have a community making a chair. You have a society making a chair. Not one person in that factory can say, I made that chair. And therefore, you have a socialist mode of production, but still a capitalist mode of, pro- of appropriation because you still have one person or one group in society which claims ownership to the value, to the profit, to the wealth which is produced through the production of those goods. Okay, I think I've summed it up decently enough uh, in my jumbled brain. This is why I have to fucking start writing scripts again, but whatever. Um, So if we're to understand that this is the way that capitalism works then we have to understand that it just simply does not provide the needs for the majority of people today. Because as capitalism progresses and more and more people are making more money, well, that's starting to level people out. And so now the people at the top have to make even more money in order to keep themselves in the place in society, the ruling class, which they exist in. Because <clears throat> as capitalism you know, progresses, there's jobs which have to make more money in comparison to how much things cost. You know, we got that whole inflation, wages have to go up as costs of goods go up and we see you know nobody's getting paid in america 33 cents a day but there was a time where people did um and that was enough to sustain themselves supposedly quote unquote um but now the minimum wage is seven and a quarter so we have to understand that the wage went up which means the cost of goods went up um and so as these things progress and more people have to amass more wealth in order to afford things. Now you got people which are coming closer to the top. They're not close at all. But you have to look at the difference between someone in Haiti versus, say, someone like Donald Trump and someone like myself. I make $13 an hour, about $150 a day. That's far more than $0.33 cents a day. But it's not any more like it's it's closer in the quantity which I have but not the quality in which I have you know that extra money is not gaining me the, that much closer to an elite lifestyle you know I am still not anywhere close to the ruling class 
I definitely am far more privileged and can provide far more of my material needs to myself than someone in Haiti can. But again, I am still a part of the working class. I am still a part of the exploited class, which is paid a wage and watches as my surplus value and my, uh, you know, the wealth which my labor creates. I see that taken from me and given to someone who does not do that work, right? So... This is the inequality which capitalism creates and necessitates. And this inequality leads to more and more inequality. Because again, as I was saying, as more people make a certain amount of money, say a minimum wage, well then the top half has to make that much more in order to keep themselves in the same relationship, in the same proportion that they were in before. Otherwise, they're close enough to the working class that they might lose their standing in the ruling class. They might lose their power. Because as we all know, the wealth which some of these people have actively uh, equates to power in the same societies which they've amassed that wealth. Um, wealth controls the government's that exists today. Not the government officials, not the ballots, not the rule of law, wealth, right? Lobbyists, companies, corporations have more say in the laws that are passed than the actual government officials which are passing those laws, it seems. And so it makes sense to say that there's something going wrong here, right? Because you have a society of the majority of people within that society being ruled, being dominated by, being oppressed, exploited by the minority of that society. And so you have such a massive amount of people, such a huge population, such huge numbers of people, which are incapable of providing themselves the basic needs of survival. To put it in true material terms in a way which might strike us with some reality, 3.3 billion people in this country, or in this world, make less than $5.10 a day. Now, out of all of us who make, again, a minimum wage, make more than that in an hour, and still can't afford their own basic needs today, how is it that we're going to say that then $5.10 or more, you know, even up to $7 and a quarter, even up to almost $13, $14, which I am making and still incapable of pro providing. I can't pay rent, guys. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, even I'm not able to provide all of my needs for myself. I can eat, which is definitely one of the needs that I'm very thankful to be able to fulfill, which many can't. But the fact of the matter is, like, there's so much wealth in existence that I shouldn't even have to struggle to pay rent. There's so much abundant abundance. There's so much availability of resources that... People truly should not have to worry about whether or not they can afford to feed themselves, whether or not they can afford rent, whether or not they can afford uh, a medical procedure which they might need. That shouldn't even be a question. 
Because we can sit here and talk about whether there is or is not scarcity in the capitalist society, but yet that very same capitalist society in America throws out $150 billion worth of food every single year, has 1.2 million vacant homes sitting empty while there's 500,000 homeless people sleeping on the side of the road, There's 28 million people who go every single year without medical insurance within a country which in order to get basic medical procedures done all the way down to just a simple checkup, it is required to have insurance. The fact that 28 million people don't seems kind of problematic, right? And again, can we say that now 28 million people have just made poor financial decisions that now they can't afford insurance because of those poor decisions? Or is it the system which exists, which makes it a necessity to have medical insurance, ha- has you know created a problem itself, which now the people don't have the means of uh, alleviating? You know, it creates a requirement for medical insurance. And then it blames the people for not being able to afford medical insurance. Medical insurance is a construct. It is a thing that does not exist naturally. So then to turn around and blame someone for not being able to provide the means to acquire medical insurance is ridiculous because medical insurance isn't necessary. Look at a country like Nicaragua. Nicaragua is the second poorest country in South America, and yet they have the best, well, they have one of the best, if not the best, uh, healthcare coverage in the world. And they provide that healthcare to every single person free of charge. That means everything. And I'm not saying that to be like, oh yeah, they, they, you know, cover just about everything in general, but like, you know, major surgeries, they, you know, they don't cover. No. Every medical procedure which you could ever expect to get, even if, you know, we have in America these ideas of pre-existing conditions, um, necessity of surgery, like, I mean, side note, is anyone getting surgery for fun? But in Nicaragua, you could. In Nicaragua, you could get surgery for fun. And guess what? You wouldn't even get a bill. They got signs on their hospitals that say, if you ever receive a bill, call us because you should never receive a bill. The second poorest country in the continent of South America, one of the poorest countries, or one of the poorest continents, the second poorest country of one of the poorest continents, is able to provide millions of people with free health care. Now, the wealthiest country in the world is going to try to tell us that that's not a possibility, that's not a real thing, that's not possible. That's just simply a lie. And again, we can talk about your thoughts about Medicare Medicare for All or, you know, an actual real tangible health care law, which would be guaranteeing it as a right to all humans, considering all humans at one point are going to require that coverage, well, they might as well be guaranteed it as long as they're going to need it, right? That makes sense. If human beings require something, they might as well be given that thing. And guess what? There's a lot of examples all over the world, one of them being Nicaragua, another one being Cuba, another one being Bolivia, and Venezuela, and Vietnam, 
and China and Nepal and countries all over the world which show exactly how it is that they can provide those things for the people. So don't sit here and ask me. Don't sit here and ask people who are in support of socialism, in support of communism, or even aside from those things, just simply in support of, you know, don't ask people who are in support of those things, even just in support of free healthcare, how, how it is we're going to pay for those things. Look at the countries that are doing it right now. Like, the internet is available, folks. You don't got to sit here and, you know, spend all your time commenting on my posts on Facebook or Instagram and trolling me and asking me dumbass questions like, oh, how are we going to pay for healthcare? Da, 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 da. I don't know. How do we support an $800 billion annual military budget? How do we pay for that? Where does that money come from? Where does the $550 billion for healthcare, which we already pay out annually, where does that come from? And more importantly, where the hell is it going to? Because $550 billion a year sure seems like quite enough money to provide healthcare for free to all the people in the world, considering we've been spending that much money for at least a decade. That seems like it should have created the facilities to provide these very things for the people. But then... My final point is this, that inequality is necessitated and stays in existence, you know, which exists in medical coverage. Because again, look at the way that the president was treated when he got COVID versus the 360,000 people which have fucking died of it now. Look at the difference between treatment. That's inequality. The inequality which exists just in life, which makes it so that some people can afford the health care that Trump gets when he gets COVID and those who can't. That inequality, right, the, the way that that's upheld is our distribution of resources. It's not like medical care is, does not exist in abundance. Um, there's hospitals all over the country with medical equipment, with medical uh operatives, uh, operatives, uh, workers, Jesus Christ, <laughs> you, you can tell what I've been reading lately, um, no, you got medical workers all over the world, we say there's a scarcity, but it's because we're not giving them jobs, you know, there's millions of people who have medical degrees, which are not medical professions, professionals right now, because there aren't jobs available, that's not because the resources aren't available, but because dolling out those resources for things like jobs, for things like hospitals, for things like free medical coverage for all people, uh, that costs money. And that money does not make more money. And because of that, well, we're not going to do it, right? So it's not the fact that we don't have the means to provide these things for people. It's not like we couldn't afford these things for people here in America or in general across the world. But it's because these things don't produce profit. And the capitalist mode of production requires profit to push itself forward, to keep itself sustained. And so we can't provide these things for free because then, one, capitalism fails, right? Capitalism will crash. But two, we'll prove that cra capitalism, <laughs> capitalism, slip of the tongue, true Freudian slip, whatever, Freud, yeah, I know. But like, it proves that capitalism is not the realistic, natural, intelligent way of doing things 
that we've been told our whole life it is. And not only does this assumption that I've come to through my process of thought prove that, but capitalism itself proves that. Because everything that I've told you, that's come by just simply looking at the life which the people today live. To be a leftist, to be an anti-capitalist, it's to be a realist, right? It's to look at the world we live in and go, holy shit, something is wrong. And then upon further inspection going, oh, I see what's wrong. And then working to eliminate that problem. We're told our whole lives that to be good humans is to work towards creating a better world for everyone. Well, guess what? Capitalism does not create a better world for everyone. It creates a fucking awful world for most people and a an amazing world beyond any of our dreams for a very, very small percent of society. One might even say 1%, right? And so to conclude, and I... I I don't know how else to make the argument any more clearer, but capitalism not only creates inequality, but creates that inequality because it requires that inequality in order to presuppose its existence as natural and then be able to support itself. And I guess really be able to support itself and then throughout years of supporting itself can use that as evidence to say, oh, it's the natural way of things because look, it's still existing. But guys, if capitalism really is the natural way of things, if capitalism is really the best way of doing things, why is it every single 10 years capitalism as an entire system has to be bailed out in the billions, in the trillions, to the banks, to the corporations, to the billionaires, while the rest of us, people like you and me, drive to work seven days a week and get paid a wage, which then you turn around, you can't even afford all your basic needs. Like, yeah, I can feed myself, but I can't move out of my house and I'm 21 fucking years old. You know, and some might say it's a privilege to move out of my house. There's homeless people. Well, yeah, there shouldn't be. The same way that I shouldn't be struggling to afford rent, there shouldn't be homeless people. Again, there's 1.2 million houses available for some 560,000 homeless people. The resources are available. We don't want to provide them because they don't get us a profit and they don't push capitalism further into existence, right? So capitalism creates and requires inequality and that inequality surfaces itself as poverty it surfaces itself as crime it surfaces itself as poor uh quality of life it surfaces itself as a lack of education it surfaces itself as uh drug abuse it surfaces itself as mental illnesses it surfaces itself in all the ways which we are seeing in society today All of these things are symptoms of the disease, which is capitalism. And again, we can agree to disagree if you really want to. I'm not going to. You can get fucked because the the fact of the matter is, and I'm done. I think we all need to be done mincing words and worrying about offending people and hurting people's feelings and opinions. The simple fact of the matter is, capitalism does not work 
for the majority of people who live in capitalist societies today. If it did, we wouldn't have to be having this conversation. You wouldn't see millions of people, billions of people all over the world starving, in jail, fighting for their lives, having revolutions of all kinds, you know, calling for change. If it weren't a problem, we wouldn't be talking about it, people, me or anyone. And so it goes without saying that it is a problem and we got to talk about it. We got to do more than talk about it. We got to work on it. We got to fix it. And that doesn't mean going to the ballot box. That doesn't mean electing another Democrat or a Republican and hoping this time around that they're going to do something for us. Because guess what? Their interests are in complete and utter opposition to our own. You know, if you're the prison warden, you're not going to walk around unlocking everybody's chains and saying, go on, walk out the front door. Because now you just lost all your prisoners. And now you got some splaining to do. And also, you don't got any prisoners in your prison. How are you going to be a prison warden? And so we're told our whole life that this mode of production, these things are natural. These things are a given. These things need to stay the way they are. But what we're not told is why, okay? Yeah, those things got to stay the way they are so that those things stay the way they are and so that the people in power today can stay in power and that's exactly what they intend to do. And so when we have conversations about things like Medicare for all, um, things about you know socialism or any kind of socialist policies, let alone a socialist revolution in this country, we can't even get those concessions because right then and there, we should see that those things are not ever going to be concessions were granted because those concessions are in complete and utter opposition to the very interests of the people who would be granting us those concessions. Again, you have a people in control of things, the ruling class, which is the wealthy elite, and you got the people who are oppressed, the working class, who are the poor. The concessions we're asking for are coming from the wealthy elites. And so the wealthy elites can't continue being the wealthy elites if they start granting us concessions. If they start giving us, as they call them so kindly, free handouts, which you're goddamn right I do deserve, and so does every human being, because guess what? The shit's available, and there's people who aren't eating tonight, yet there's food sitting in grocery stores which isn't going to be bought. And so, again... This isn't, you know, these things aren't natural. These things don't need to stay this way because they're natural. These things need to stay this way so that they stay this way. And so that the people who are benefiting from things being this way can keep benefiting. And benefiting off of our struggle, our exploit, you know, our exploitation, our oppression. That is what they're benefiting off of. That is the system which exists, folks. We can talk about it in the abstract, or we can talk about it in the reality. And the reality and the abstract are both the same. And that is, there is a ruling class, and there is a working class. And I'm quite certain that if you're still listening to this podcast, you know which one of those you're a part of, and you know that that shit's got to change. So if you're still listening, thank you very much. I appreciate you very much. Um, I hope that I've done a decent enough job trying to prove my point. If, uh, if you're someone who believes that what I said is not true, or even if you are someone who 
might be thinking that the things that I'm saying could be true, but feel I didn't properly support my argument, go ahead and post your critiques of this assessment. Go ahead and post your questions uh, wherever it is that you want to post them. Uh, you can email me, annoyingquestionboy, spelled just like that, no caps, no spaces, at gmail.com, and I'd be glad to hash out some more points. But I think as a general overview, that should show just about anyone who thinks, you know, it does, that capitalism does not make sense. Capitalism does not help anyone except for the few people that it does help, you know? And we, you know, as the left, we gotta, we gotta have true conversations about these things. Capitalism has created a lot of good things for a lot of people, but the majority of people who have lived under capitalist societies have suffered because of it. And not suffered for anything that they have done, but suffered simply because of the place in society which they, unfortunately, were born into. You know, a lot of us, even on the, the side of the oppressors, it's a luck of the draw. But if, you know, that, that's not granting concession or excuse to anyone who's a part of the ruling class, if you're consciously aware of what the ruling class is and you're part in it and you don't you know, break from that, you don't oppose that and pull yourself out of that place, well then, guess what? The grill's ready and I'm hungry, folks, right? So, yeah, if you're still listening, I appreciate you. Uh, I hope I did a good job of explaining my point. Sorry that my brain is jumbly. Um, I'm working on it, right? I should probably work a little harder, but whatever. Um, if you enjoyed what you heard, just know there's a lot more to check out. Uh, my podcast is available just about everywhere you can stream it. And I've been doing this for about a year. So there's, you know, vast library of posts that you could listen to if you'd like to. Uh, if you like this, but you don't like my voice or for any reason you might want to read these things instead of listen to them. I do a blog as well that can be found at forliberation.wixsite.com. W-I-X-S-I-T dot com forward slash website. Uh, you can also find me on social media uh, on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, it's either going to be Annoying Question Boy or In Defense of Liberation. Um, I think I have yet to change a few of those social medias over. So, you know, sorry about that. It's one of the two. Um, yeah, and uh, I also wrote a book, which is called Liberation is Irresistible, which hopefully will be out in PDF form soon, uh, and even later, hopefully in uh, published form. Uh, if you have any interest in talking to me, uh, organizing with me, uh, asking me questions, uh, telling me to go fuck myself, again, my email is annoyingquestionboy at gmail.com. I love hearing from... Uh, the zero people who email me, except for my buddy Toby. Shout out Toby uh, for emailing me. You're really cool, comrade. Uh, love you a ton. Thanks for listening to the show. But yeah, guys, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, and, you know, we'll see you when we see you. This has been In Defense of Liberation, the podcast uh, for uh, and working towards a true people's liberation in the world today and true international proletarian revolution tomorrow. Um, I have been Josh, and again, like I said, we'll see you next time.
Peace.